And to get started, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the beautiful service that we've already experienced this morning. I thank you for a great time of worship and a message that speaks to our hearts. Help us to continue to learn and grow through your word now as we study uh, these final verses, as we get close to finishing First Thessalonians. We thank you for the time we've had to study it and the privilege of that. Please continue to bless us now as we continue to try to seek after you and to learn more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, or a couple weeks ago, we started this, um, one of the final uh, portions of our study of First Thessalonians, and uh, we're looking at what it means to live in vertical maturity. Before that, we studied horizontal maturity, how we relate to others, and then we moved into how do we relate to God. And uh, we looked at that in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verses 16 to 22 is, is the main uh, text, the main passage. And so uh, last week, we, we, or the week before actually, we talked about God's will in verses 16 through 18. And Paul gives these short commands, these um, instructions, rejoicing and praying and giving thanks. And that is how we relate to our circumstances around us. And, and then we, uh, in, in light of who God is. So that's how we relate to circumstances in light of who God is. And then we looked at last week at these, uh, the next set of instructions, uh, starting in verse uh, 19 and 20, talking about uh, not quenching the spirit. And so if you remember, we spent a, a good deal of time, actually an entire class, an entire 45 minutes, talking about what it means to quench the spirit and how we can avoid that as Christians. And um, the verse there, verse 19, do not quench the spirit. And then we're going to get into verse 20 today, which is uh, do not despise prophecy. So if you're following on your outline, uh, last week we touched on this, uh, the warning of uh, a dangerous disregard for spiritual things. Letter A there, if you're following on your outline, was a warning about a dangerous disregard for spiritual things. And then under that, we see the command to not quench the spirit. And we said, don't douse the spirit. The word quench, we learned, means extinguish, like as if you're putting out a flame. And that's what the spirit really is inside of us. He's our source of power. We talked about how we can do nothing without the spirit in us. And so, but he can be quenched uh, when we resist him, when we become indifferent to him. We can grieve him when we sin against uh, him. And so we spent a good deal of time going through that. The next part that we're going to look at today is not only are we told not to douse God's spirit, but we're also told not to despise God's prophecies. Uh, we see this in verse number 20. Do not despise prophecies. So the word prophecy there obviously means, uh, can mean predictions, uh, but it also the inspired statements in God's word and the preaching of God's word. And so this warning is mainly about our response uh, to the word of God, primarily when we hear it preached or taught. And we're going to go through that as we get into the passage. Uh, we can apply this as some, an application in our lives for when we pick up scripture and read it for ourselves. But in the immediate context, 
It's about how we respond to the word of God when we hear it uh, preached. I think sometimes the word prophecies can be confusing because we often think of future telling, the message this morning about future Babylon and all of that. That's all future. That's all future prophecy. Um, And that would be what we might call foretelling, where uh, a prophet, uh, in in that case, um, the apostle John writing Revelation, he foretold the events that we, that have yet to take place. And so there's foretelling. There's also forthtelling where a prophet will say something like, thus says the Lord. And you see the, the, test, the Old Testament prophets, and even John the Baptist to some degree was in that category of, this is a direct quote from God that I'm going to forth tell you about. Um, we don't believe that that gift of prophecy is active in our churches today. That doesn't mean that God is limited and that in circumstances and certain situations, he could not do that. We are the last to limit God's power. But for the most part, we don't believe that that gift of prophecy is still active. And the reason is because of what you're holding in your hands. You have the 66 books, the completed canon of God's word. And so no new information is needed. It's it's the complete canon. And I I read this somewhere, a guy said this, if somebody says that they have new revelation from God, this is what you can say to them. If what you're going to say is in the Bible, I don't need it because I already have it right here. And if what you're going to say is not in the Bible, I don't want it. And that should be our attitude towards it. We have the full revelation of God's word in our scriptures. So um, as we look at this command, do not despise prophecies. Certainly we can say, well, don't despise the foretelling portions of scripture, but in the context we're talking about when it's being taught or preached and, and really the whole counsel of God. And that I think is the immediate context. We need to respond to scripture uh, appropriately. Uh, Jesus had a high view of scripture. If you read how he uh, talks about in his quotes from uh, when he references the Bible. Uh, In fact, in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This, This word is our spiritual food. It's our spiritual sustenance. Without scripture, we spiritually wilt inside. We lose our energy just as if we, when we don't eat physically, we lose physical energy. So it's so important for us. Uh, Job, back in verse, uh, chapter 23, verse 12 of Job, he said, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And so the question I was asking myself, would I skip a meal to feast on God's word? Um, This is all about our priorities. What's most important, the physical or the spiritual? Our response to scripture is the key to our spiritual maturity. And that's what we're calling this whole study in 1 Thessalonians, the marks of maturity. A mark of maturity in a believer is when he or she responds to the teaching and preaching of God's word in an appropriate way. It's God's primary channel to teach us and help us grow in our faith. His primary channel right here. 
Uh, in fact, we talked about this last week. Who inspired this, this, by this, these books? The Holy Spirit. So this is his word, along with the Father and the Son, of course. But it was the Spirit that inspired. Anyone know the longest chapter in the Bible? Just say it. Psalm 119. Anyone know how many verses it has? 170. Is it six? Yeah, it's either four or six. I think you're right. I think it's six. So the Holy Spirit, who inspired this, made the longest chapter about what? What is the theme of Psalm 119? Yes, the Word of God. Now, he could have made that about anything, right? I mean, he is God. He has all the freedom to do that because this is his word. But God made the longest chapter in the Bible about the importance and the sufficiency and the power of the Bible, of, of God's word. So that, that tells us um, what he thinks of it. Uh, in the verse there, and we, I could have picked a whole bunch of different ones. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So not only is it our spiritual sustenance, it is our guide, our life guide, our life coach. Uh, in our most meaningful source of wisdom. So we talked last week about quenching the spirit. When we despise prophecies or we despise the prophetic utterance, we despise the teaching, the clear biblical preaching of God's word, that is probably one of the number one ways to quench the spirit because this is his word. And so through despising his word, we're despising him as well. That word despise means to treat with contempt or to consider the least esteemed. It's the idea that the thing in question means nothing. And it's a strong warning. And I think I was really, I mean, for me, I don't think I know. I was really uh, challenged by that. How often do we go through life and by default or by omission even, regard scripture as uh, meaningless. It's a strong word uh, where he says, do not despise prophecies. So the question came to mind, why do we despise prophecies? Um, there's probably a lot of reasons, but here's three. Um, pride is a big one. That, that is um, an uh, issue that we all struggle with, pride, which says, I know this already, so I don't need to listen. I've already heard a message on this passage. I don't need to pay attention. Or I know better than what the teacher or the preacher is saying. That's pride. Uh, sin. Now, all these are actually sin. But sin specifically engaged in an act of sin says, well, I know this. Now, this is a Christian speaking, of course. I know this, but I don't want to change what I'm doing. And so I'm going to um, ignore that prophecy. I am going to despise it. And then the third thing it might be, uh, indifference, which says, I know this, but I don't care. I'm happy with my life, and I'm going to ignore what, what God is clearly teaching me. So these warnings are important. Uh, prophecy and the gift of prophecy, especially even as we see it today through uh, preaching and exposition of God's word, was very important to uh, the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 14, um, he talked about this, and he gave us the benefits that we have of prophecy, of the exposition of God's word. Uh, in verse, in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, there's three benefits given, 
And in the next verse, there's two more. So we're going to look at those five. Uh, verse number three, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So what are the three benefits of prophecies in this verse? What's the first one? Edification, the second one, and comfort. So when we despise prophecies, we cut ourselves off from, from these blessings. The next verse, number four, so edification, exhortation, and comfort. For you can all prophesy one by one, and this was how the, the church was arranged there. Um, these, were, these would be um, what we would call pastors or elders within the church and those that had this gift, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. What are the two um, blessings there? Learning and encouragement, right. So when we, again, when we decide that we are going to despise what God is clearly teaching, we cut ourselves off from these things. We treat them with contempt, uh, the preaching of God's word. And so the question before us then is, for me and for, for you, how do we respond to God's word and specifically to the preaching of God's word? And one more thought before we go to the next point on the outline. Think about the nations and the people groups around the world where it is illegal to own one of these. Why? Why do they have such a hatred for this book? It goes against their agenda. Yeah. Don't want to be accountable. Conviction. Right. This book has power. Pastor mentioned that this morning. More powerful than anything man has ever created. Has the power to change hearts and lives. And the enemy knows that. Who's the small g God of this world? So what you're seeing in these countries and regions where the Bible is illegal is you're seeing his agenda, his program being instituted. And because he understands maybe better than we do at times as Christians, the power that this has to transform lives. If it didn't have that power, if it was just a book written by some Bronze Age shepherds like the uh, skeptics like to say that was changed multiple times and doesn't really, it has multiple contradictions in it. I mean, they throw all kinds of things at the Bible to try to tear it down. If that was really true, then these countries that are atheistic and, and hum humanistic in their governments and in their policies would have no problem with it. Any more than they have, maybe don't have problems with Plato or some other uh, author from the past. But the fact is, it changes lives and it has power. And so we have such easy access today, don't we, to this. I mean, multiple venues of here at church, online, YouTube, you can go a lot of different places to find teaching. Um, so how do we respond to that? And so if we compared how we respond to uh, the Bible to how a Christian in a persecuted nation responds to the Bible, how would we be different or how would we be the same? I mean, they hunger for just a page, one page, one scrap, one verse that they can hold on to and read and teach and we have the entire thing in multiplicity. And so it's just a reminder. I don't know many of you do treasure the word. And so 
not trying to browbeat about it, but I think it's an important thing. Any comments or thoughts about that before we go on? Yes, sir. They'll risk their life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because they, uh, and, and I know in North Korea and some other places, this is a death sentence to have this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yep, only weapon that needs no upgrades, <laughs> no maintenance required. Amen. Well, let's move on, um, continuing on here. Not only are we to uh, be warned about a dangerous disregard for spiritual things, and we do that by not dousing God's spirit, not despising um, prophetic exposition of his word, uh, but we're also supposed to be developing discernment for spiritual things. And this is really the other side of the coin from what he just got done saying about quenching the spirit, despising prophecies. We're going to see a balance. This would be a teaching being brought into balance with this next, uh, this next uh, portion. Look at verse, uh, let's see, uh, let's get to the verse. Verse 21, that first sentence there, the first phrase, test all things, test all things. God never calls us to be gullible as Christians or to just simply because somebody that we think we trust or that we know says something from the Bible, well, they said it, so I'm just going to take it on face value and move on with my life. God does not call us to do that. In fact, he commands us to do something very different. In this verse, he says, test all things. We're calling that research everything in, in your outline. Um, the word test here means to discern or to examine a claim, a truth claim. Um, it is a plural imperative verb in the present active tense. So it's plural. That means it's all of us are supposed to be doing this. And it is an active tense. That means it's a continual action with no regard for ending. It's a constant process of taking in the teaching of God's word and testing it. That's what we're called to do. Um, it's like I said, that brings into balance the other verses of, well, don't despise the exposition of God's word, but also don't just say, well, I'm just going to move on with life and accept it. We are called to test it. Sometimes people have a tendency to go to the extreme on either side of this. So either they will, because they don't want to put in the work and, and um, the, the study, they'll just say, well, I'm just going to accept everything. Or you have the other person, that, that's, that's the gullible person. Or you have the person on the other side of the spectrum, that's the cynic that says, hmm, is that really true I, on everything? I mean, they just, you, I, maybe you know some, maybe that's kind of your um, personality tends to do that. And that's, that's okay so long the Spirit's helping you with it. But the idea of, of just never really believing anything and always calling everything into question and never really settling on anything because you're so, a person is so cynical, um, these are two extremes and we have to find the way in the middle. And I believe the, the middle ground is discernment. And I think that's what Paul's calling us to, is to be discerning. So we're forbidden from quenching the spirit and from despising prophecies, but we're also called to know that if what we are hearing is actually from the spirit or not. Is it actually the spirit? Is it actually 
um, teaching that is biblical that lines up with scripture. Uh, of course, once we know it, it is, then we accept it. We talked about that last time. But what if it's not? We're going to talk about that. So we, God doesn't call us to just blindly accept everything. And I'm just going to say this. Um, I'm standing up here and I'm, I'm teaching. Don't blindly accept everything I say. I'll just put myself on the spot. Test what I say to Scripture. I've heard our pastor say the same thing. Test it. Everything that I say should match up with the full counsel of God's word all the time. That's the standard. And uh, every teacher, every pastor, every person that stands up, whether in a pastoral role as, or as a, in a teaching role, men and women, are held to that same standard. Everything that's said in a teaching or preaching role should line up with Scripture, 100%. So uh, we have a great example of this in Acts 17. Verse number 10, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Quick question, little quiz. What city were Paul and Silas in that they got sent away by night to go to Berea from? I'll give you a clue. It's the same city Paul's writing 1 Thessalonians to. <laughs> Detroit. Good guess, good guess. So they were in Thessalonica. Remember that there was a riot, and so they had to send them away by night, and they go down to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded. You might have noble-minded in your translation. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. Catch, catch this description of these Jews and probably some Gentiles but I believe Jews primarily. They received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. This was a group of people that was testing all things. <laughs> That's the command that we're looking at in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. And I was just wondering, as Paul's writing this, because he wrote, First Thessalonians, after he was at Berea, and then he kept moving south, um, was he w thinking about oh, those Thessalonians? They got to be a lot more like the Bereans, man. They got <laughs> to start to learn to test all things. And that's exactly what these people were doing. And if you can just imagine, okay, so Paul comes into the synagogue and says, hey, Messiah has come and gone. What? What are you talking about? Yeah, Messiah was here. He here's what he did in his life. He proved himself, and I, I've talked to the eyewitnesses, the apostles, and, and here's the proof of it. But uh, he was put to death on a Roman cross. Wait a minute, the Messiah was put to death? Yes. Well, how do you know that from Scripture? Did they have the New Testament then? No. So what Scriptures were the Bereans searching to find out if it was so? What were they searching? The Old Testament. So Paul comes in and says, yeah, the Messiah was here. He died on a Roman cross. He was buried in a tomb. He resurrected from the dead, and then he ascended up into heaven. And I talked to the guys that saw it and the women that saw it, and here's, here's their, this is it. This is the testimony. This is true. What do you mean the Messiah was killed? Our Messiah is, we're waiting for him to come back and set us free from Rome. Where do you see that in the scripture? 
people. Go to Isaiah 53. Psalm 22, where crucifixion is described in detail before crucifixion was ever invented. Uh, Go to Daniel 9.26, where the Messiah is cut off. And there's a multitude of other places. And so if you can just picture that, Paul's coming in, he's talking about this, and, and so he's giving them teaching. He's using the Old Testament to preach the gospel about Jesus to these Jews in Berea. And they're going, show us, prove it. Show us where it is. We're going to test it. We're going to get together on our own. We're going to search the scriptures. We're going to compare scripture with scripture. And we're going to see if what you're saying is true. And that is exactly what we're called to do, is to search the scriptures. And not that we uh, put all that pressure on, on pastor every, every week. But if what is being taught or preached in a ministry does not drive the people that are listening back into the scripture, then I think there's something missing. We should be taking in what we're hearing and going right back to scripture with it and, and searching it out. The other thing to think about, I think, is why Paul is uh, saying this, test all things. Spiritual gifts can be abused in churches. Uh, spiritual gifts can be abused. They can cause disorder within a local church. And I think that's another reason why we have this command. John gave this command similar in 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't just take it at face value, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So it's just a warning for us to be very careful about what we take on face value. Uh, When we hear someone claiming to teach the Bible, they can be very polished. They can use Jesus' name. Uh, They can use some Bible verses, some scripture. Um, But we're called to test that. We're called to avoid a gullible, thoughtless attitude and instead research what is being said comparing their words with God's word. We're also called to not be cynics that can never be convinced of anything no matter how many times you go back and show them from scripture. So that's the balance and that is discernment. All right, any comments there before we move on? Any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, the Gospel of Matthew constantly says this happened that it might be fulfilled that it might fulfill the prophet that said this and then he'll quote the prophet. Yeah, it's very very cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the searching in Berea led to people believing is what um, he was just saying, and that's so true. Um, Let's uh, keep moving along here. So not only are we to research everything, but we need to retain what is good. And, And the verse there, 
the second part of the verse, not only, so we test all things. So you're going to have one of two things that come out of your testing. Either what the teacher or preacher is saying is going to be good and line up with scripture or what they're saying is going to be false. So that's where we're at. Um, and of course, there can be some um, range in there where maybe a conversation to clear something up. And I'm talking about once it's very clear from scripture, this is, this is right on. This is solid teaching. So what do I do with it? Well, the command here is to hold fast what is good. Hold fast what is good. That's our command. So this word means uh, to take, to hold down, to take hold, to keep in memory, to possess. It's like an internalization. Uh, once we've determined that what we're hearing is indeed biblical, it lines up with scripture, uh, but maybe it doesn't line up with what I thought that verse meant all these years, and now it's being shown to me, letting scripture interpret itself, that I was wrong about my presupposition, and I'm I'm willing to uh, to make that change. Um, whatever the case is, we see that the teaching lines up with scripture. We're called to respond to that. There's a response. And what Brad said about what happened in Berea, they searched the scriptures and then they, they believed. Well, after we get saved, we're also called to search the scriptures, to test all things. And there should be a response for believers as well. We're already saved, so that's not it. But there's a call to respond. So, the teaching, the good teaching that we hear should be integrated into our lives wholeheartedly. This means we're to internalize the solid truth from God's word, retain it with intention. So there's an intentionality in this word, hold fast. We're intentionally supposed to take what we learn and apply it so that our life is shaped by what we hear. When, when we come into a, in any kind of teaching venue and we hear God's word, we are not simply called to create a repository or a database of theological information that we can just kind of pull from. It actually is supposed to dynamically change our hearts and our lives. It's, it's supposed to, it has the power to do that. And uh, when we don't, quench the spirit, and when we don't despise good teaching, but we hold fast to it, that's, that's what will happen. Paul already commended the Thessalonian church for this. Remember back in chapter 2? That was a while ago when we were there. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. This is 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, Paul and Silas and his team, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Which also, now here's, here's the key, effectively works in you who believe. So there's the response. There's, it's an effectual working because we've absorbed it, we've internalized it, and we're asking God, what do I need to change? What, what, how do I need to grow in my faith, in my maturity? Maturity is constant change. It's constant change. It's constant growth. Sometimes it's very incremental, very slow. Sometimes we take bigger steps. But, but the idea is that we are in a process. So we should all be able to look at where we are spiritually today versus maybe, let's say, a year ago. And 
how you were interacting with God and with his word and with prayer and with uh, spiritual disciplines versus how that's going for you today. And no matter what the age, there should be a steady progression of growth. Growth, progressive sanctification should be part of our life. And we, a large part of that is when we hear the preaching and teaching of God's word. Well, what do we do if the teaching is not good? We're to reject it. Test all things, hold fast what is good. Verse 22 says, abstain from every form of evil. And so number three in your outline, reject what is evil. Uh, the word abstain there, it means to hold oneself off, to refrain from, to, set, to put a distance, you know, a separation between my life and that teaching. If we have heard teaching that is unfaithful to the word, after we've tested it, okay, so there's, the, there's an order to this, we test all things first. And then we, again, have the two options. If it's good, we do this. If it's evil, we do something different. So we've tested it, we've heard it, and we found it to be unfaithful to the word. We need to reject that teaching. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13 with me. I don't have it on the slide. Came up in reading actually this morning, and I thought it was so appropriate. Hebrews 13, verse number 9. Actually, go back to um, verse number seven. Remember those who rule over you. I think we talked about this verse um, when we talked about how we respond to leadership within the church. But remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, those whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse number nine, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. Don't be carried about, reject strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have been which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. And so there's a there's a context and a teaching there that runs deeper. But my point that I, I want to focus on is that first part of verse nine do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. And how are you going to know their various and strange doctrines? First of all, if you don't know your word, your Bible, and then if you don't put any test to that teaching, we can find ourselves uh, easily uh, pulled astray. The word I'd like to focus on as we as we close, and I think this is a is an issue within churches. I think it can be rampant at times. Is the word compromise? Because if a, a teacher or somebody got up in a, in a church somewhere and said, you know, I, I've decided that Jesus isn't God anymore. He has no de- deity. Uh, he's, not, he's not really God. And so now I'm going to teach you guys. I'm going to use the Bible, but I'm going to have that premise that Jesus is no longer God. Would that be easy to test or hard to test when we hear that? It'd be easy, right? Because that's a blatant um, blasphemy against Christ. Without Christ's deity, we have no hope. Uh, the whole, everything unravels in, the, in Scripture without his deity. So that would be pretty straightforward. 
But that's not really, I mean, that is a compromise, I guess, on a grand scale. But usually compromise in, in terms of teaching in local churches is incremental and subtle. And we need as Christians to be alert and ready to test and to reject if it's found. And there's an example of this way back in the book of Exodus. So God was preparing Israel to go into the promised land. Okay, they're at Mount Sinai. They're constructing the tabernacle. God is giving them all the Levitical laws about the sacrificial system and what to do with uh, all, the, all the laws with, um, in, in relation to the, the tabernacle itself as well as uh, how you're to relate to your fellow Israelites and all of those things. And he's giving them all this instruction. And then he says, I'm going to take you into the land where the Canaanites are where those that are um, pagan idolaters, you're going to go in there and and we're going to, I, through you, am going to conquer this land. And he gives them instructions about how to deal with these idolaters, these Canaanites. Verse 32 of Exodus 23, you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods, They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Did they listen? (laughs) Unfortunately not. Some some of them did, and there and there were successes, but then you you then you come to judges, and everything is chaos takes over basically. But but what is God saying here? He's saying you don't make a covenant with them or their gods. there's this quote here out of the Riken and Hughes um, commentary. This is what they say, and it helps us understand um, the historical context. Why would God say don't make a covenant with them or with their gods? The Israelites were also forbidden to make a covenant or a peace treaty with the Canaanites. In those days, covenants were sealed with sacred rituals which in which nations sacrificed to their gods. So if they wanted to not bother fighting this Canaanite nation and it was just too much hard work and they say, let's let's compromise, let's make a deal, let's negotiate. In order for the negotiation to be sealed, there would have to be an idolatrous pagan ceremony in which their false gods would be honored they would be sacrificed to. So the Israelites could not make a treaty with the Canaanites without in some way acknowledging their gods. The Israelites' God, same as our God, is the one true living God, right? He is the God of all the universe. He is the creator of all. Well, the Canaanites in their religion had a lot of different gods, that they attributed all the things that we attribute God to. And so if the Israelites came in and said, yeah, we'll make a treaty with you, but our God is the only true and living God, well, then there could be no treaty. See, they would have to compromise their belief system about their God in order for the Canaanites to accept the peace treaty. And this is what God was telling them was wrong to do. They were absolute, this they were absolutely forbidden to do. And so, and why do I bring this up? Because this would have been an example and was an example, unfortunately, of compromise. 
where we negotiate and both sides give a little, but you know what? Neither side is usually very satisfied with the result. Um, there's a, a <laughs> and I, <laughs> I don't mean any <laughs> political um, ramification or meaning behind this. There, there is a, a Russian um, parable about the, the man that goes out to, to hunt for a bear. And he's got his rifle up and he's going to shoot the bear and the bear starts talking softly to him and says, are you sure you have to do that? Can't we negotiate? What is it that you want? And the man says, I want a fur coat. And the bear says, well, okay, that's negotiable. I want a full stomach. Let's sit down. A little while later, the bear walks away alone. The negotiations were successful. The bear got his full stomach and the man got his fur coat. <laughs> and again, no political reference meant by that at all, what's going on in the world today. But the fact remains that um, when we compromise and don't abstain from every form of evil, as it says in verse 22, we're setting ourselves up. We start to take in teaching and, and be, go along with teaching. And it might be somebody that we really look up to or our favorite um, preacher or, or ministry that, that we really enjoy listening to. And maybe they're really, really good on these other things. And I think there is a case where you can take in, you know, the meat and spit out the bones, so to say. But the call here is to be extremely careful to hold fast to what is good and to abstain from every form of evil. Last thing. I didn't read all of the slides. Um, in the commentary, there's only one supreme and sovereign deity. So I think we covered that. They were called to worship him alone. Okay, if you've been reading your Bible this year in 2022, what are some things or maybe just a quick sentence or a verse or something that God's been speaking to you or right at the time? So just a couple before we close. Anybody? Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 13.5. Another one. Anybody? What's God been saying to you through his word this week? Yes, sir. That's amazing that the Spirit intercedes for us and prays for us when we don't have the words. Um, I was also reading Hebrews this morning and just reminded again, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of God. His work is finished, is complete. We can put all our faith and trust in that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Help us, Lord, to be discerning Christians. When we hear uh, teaching or preaching of your word, help us to uh, absorb it, to take it in, and to test it, to compare what we hear uh, with scripture. And then, Lord, help us to follow through on that. If it's lining up, Lord, please help us to internalize it, to help it to shape our lives and our thinking and our hearts. And, Lord, if it's found to be false and not lining up with scripture, please help us to reject it on its face. 
and to not allow our minds and our lives to be compromised um, by something that is not true or something that is against you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.